Welcome to episode number 132 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about identifying and implementing critical controls in wood pellet facilities. We're doing that with Sherry Whalen, Director of Safe Companies with BC Forest Safety Council. Sherry's background is as an uh, occupational health and safety investigator with the government of Alberta, a EHS investigator with Suncor uh, and safety roles within TransAlta before moving into her current role with BC Forest Safety Council in 2016. Sherry, you had a good introduction last week's episode with uh, with Gordon Murray, so I do want to give you a big welcome to the podcast and a big thank you for coming on the podcast today. Oh, well, I'm glad to be here, Chris. We're excited to have Sherry involved. As those of you that would listen to the, the interview last week will know, we're sort of doing a trio here around this critical controls project that we're talking about in this episode, but also the role that, that WPAC, the Wood Pellet Association of Canada, has played in, in wood pellet mills and improving really safety across the board, but we were focusing on combustible dust safety, how that's integrated with BC Forest Safety Council and the really critical role they're playing in British Columbia, and then how we sort of have these projects that are aligning with Dalhousie, um, with Dust Safety Science, with BC FSC, um, and with WPAC, that's partially being funded and supported through WorkSafe BC as well. So there's, there's sort of all these groups together. That's why it takes three episodes to, to come through all the different parts of it. But in this episode specifically, we're going to talk about this critical controls project. So we're going to go through what is BC FSC, what is the BC Forest Safety Council, how did Sherry get started there, what groups does BC FSC work with, uh, what is this critical controls project, what are we talking about there, and we're going to talk about where the project's at today and where it's headed so Sherry, I think uh, the best place to jump in is this, you know, w- what is the BC Forest Safety Council? Um, and then a little bit of, you know, how did you get involved with the organization with your specific background? So we're a health and safety association for far, um, forest harvesting. Uh, we also support um, sawmills, like wood products manufacturing and pellet industries in BC. So uh, we get our funding through WorkSafe BC through premiums that employers pay through um, like their yearly assessments for workers' compensation. Again, we are a nonprofit. We have an office in Nanaimo and one in Prince George Interior, which is where a lot of um, a lot of these um, facilities exist for pellets. And uh, yeah, so we're we're a great organization whose sole purpose is to prevent injuries and fatalities in um, the sectors that we support. Awesome. And when I think I had in my notes, yeah, 2016, sort of when you got involved, mm-hmm. what's your background? How's it relevant? And, and how do you end up with a BC4 Safety Council in your current role? Well, my background, so you touched a little bit on in the intro. Um, I uh, I worked with Workers' Compensation Board in uh, both, well, if you didn't pick up on the accent, in Newfoundland and then also in... Coast to coast. Coast to coast, yeah, from one, one, one ocean to the other. But from New in Newfoundland and then I was there for 10 years and then uh, 10 in uh, Alberta. And then I moved um, from Workers' Compensation to Occupational Health and Safety um, as an investigator and uh, and as as an officer. So I was in the Fort McMurray region in Northern and oil sands region. Uh, and a lot of the incidents that I had involved in were, um, while it was occupational health and safety, they were process related incidents. A lot of them like fires and explosions. And from there I moved on to, um, you um, talked about the experience that I had with Suncor. So I worked with Suncor Energy for a short time as an investigation team lead and was part of their process 
process safety um, implementation. That, uh, they call it Operational Excellence um, Management System, as OMS program. So I was hired with them as uh, part of the rollout activities for process safety within um, the oil sands region. The last place I worked uh, was Transalta Energy. So uh, they're an energy um, generation company. They're located in a, a multinational. And I was part of a program rollout and development with them, which was around, and it's very similar to what we're doing with the critical control program, project here at um, with WPAC. That role, I was a EHS team lead, and uh, we were tasked with uh, rolling out ties to the organ controls that came from that and uh, part of the project management with that. What brought me to BC is BC because it's beautiful here. So roles I worked in L and uh, I started looking for some opportunities here in BC and specifically Vancouver Island. And um, this role came up and it was a perfect fit. Initially, I, I worked solely with uh, just safe companies and some of some safe companies is a certification project program that we have here at BC for safety council for companies, um, just a, a certification program on their safety management systems. Uh, and I also started to support the sawmill sector and then was provided the opportunity to help support pellets about two years ago. So, um, yeah, that's that's my background and that's what brought me here. Awesome. And I, I appreciate that you have sort of a, a varied background. I know you and I on some of the projects we worked on have touched on this, things like occupational health and safety versus or in conjunction with process safety, mm-hmm. in conjunction with small sawmills, in conjunction with, you know, large facilities and, and interna- uh, multi-internationals. And what does this space look like? What can we take from the good side and what can we take from the bad side or leave from the bad side, I guess. And all those ideas and thoughts I know have come out of conversations we, we've had. And the point that I'm trying to make is that that varied background is really strong and I'm happy to see it in supporting industries now handling combustible dust like lumber and wood pellet mills. It really is an asset. And those that, that did list last week's episode, um, Gore did have some really kind words to say on the role you really play with WPAC, with the safety committee that's there and then the the kind of little mini projects that are run through that committee and i'm using the word mini maybe not not correctly because i know critical controls is certainly not a small project and some of the other ones are quite large as well i before we jump in i tried to when i first got into talking with groups that were in british columbia i I must admit i got a bit confused because i talked with with the mag group the manufacturing um, advisory group. I, I talked with WorkSafe BC, BC4 Safety Council, WPAC. It was a little bit confusing on who who is who. So BC4 Safety Council is the is a, a health and safety organization, a nonprofit. Safe Companies is a certification program under that umbrella. Was that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Perfect. And then what what groups do you work with? And is it common to say BCFSC instead of BC4 Safety Council? Yeah, yeah, BCF. The other's a mouthful for sure. BCFSE for sure. Okay, so yeah, what kind of groups do you work with? And then we'll dive into to WPAC and the Critical Controls Project and go down that road. But I like to, if somebody goes to BC and wants to understand the the, the safety landscape, it's helpful for them and helpful for me to understand what groups they're working with who. 
Okay, great. So the BC Forest Safety Council or BCFSE, we have a number of different advisory groups that uh, basically represent different sectors within the forest industry. So we like, for example, we've got Coast Harvest Advisory Group, and that uh, that represents like a lot of the harvesting activities up and down the coast. We've got a trucking advisory group for log truck drivers and um, and uh, more that supports the interior. We've got uh, like a fallers group as well, FTAC and um, silviculture. So I've done some work in helping them. So tree planting. And, but the ones I specifically support here are the Manufacturing Advisory Group and the um, WPAC, Wood Pellets Association of Canada Safety Committee. And those two, so you, you have done some work um, with the Manufacturing Advisory Group, I believe. Those two are um, fairly new to our organization. So Manufacturing Advisory Group, I think, came over... I think it was in 2015, just before I had started. And um, WPAC was uh, like this around the same time frame as well. And the rest of them have been like over, well, since our inception, since uh, like around, um, well, probably 12, 13 years now. I guess, uh, and um, it's probably worth mentioning because I, f- I feel like we always mention it with um, British Columbia. David Murray from the Manufacturing Advisory Group, we had him on back in episode 97. He talked about lessons learned from the Lakeland Mills and and Babine Force products mm-hmm. dust explosions, and then in, in episode ninety eight, he talked about the history of the manufacturing advisory group, the mag group that we're talking about here. I, I guess it's worth asking: How did the BC Force Safety Council change or grow or kind of out of that that time in two thousand twelve where we had these large explosions, and how did that sort of impact the the focus of what you you weren't involved with the group back then? But maybe you could comment on how that affected the the focus of that group. Well, um, we we were now, so that was pre me, <laughs> but um, we were involved. Um, the combustible dust audit that came out, or like was developed through manufacturing advisory group before um, they became part of our organization. But we did do some coordinated efforts with going out and working with um, some smaller employers and working in conjunction with WorkSafe BC to help um, some employers like kind of navigate through those waters because, like you like you a while ago. Um, not everyone is a big uh, em- employer here and has like a lot of resources at their disposal to be able to do some of this. So we did have uh, two people um, that were employed by us that went around and helped and um, conducted combustible dust audits and supported that effort back then. And luckily, one of those is Bill Laternus. So he's on our project team as well. So he's been part of that since the beginning. And them, so manufacturing coming um, on board with us, it was, um, I think WorkSafe BC has had a, um, a, a big role in a, and asking and getting support for, for from that industry to be part of our organization. And um, yeah, so I, I think, and, and WPAC, the same thing is, it's, a, it's around um, WorkSafe BC is a lot of um, potential in industry outside of um, their own um, kind of uh, coordinate and work with employers to be able to represent their like their interests around health and safety. And there's another group that I support with, well, it's Wood, Wood WPAC is on that as well and manufacturing. Um, we call it's a manufacturing technical work. 
So uh, that's a group that is uh, part of uh, worker, workers' compensation enforcement um, arm, uh, review and updating arm, claims representative. And then also um, we've got some labor rep- representatives on there and then representatives from uh, not only manufacturing like sawmills and wood pellets, but we also have uh, someone there from Pulp and Paper. So that group also meets quarterly to talk about um, emerging trends that we see in like COVID's been a big one for the last year, but emerging trends and safety implications for the industry, and then understanding that it's not just one, not just one of those groups being work safe labor or employers can um, they can't do it individually, like working together and being able to support each other to um, being able to identify uh, um, issues that they see in industry and then how to best support each other. So. Yeah, it's been it's been a bit of an evolution for sure, and um, we're learning. But I think um, I think it's been a really good process, and have like the Health and Safety Association uh, is a is a strong strong part of that. I don't know if that answered your question. It's no, it, it does. Um, a, a lot of moving pieces. It sounds like, which oh, yeah. is why I'm still yeah. still picking pulling them apart to understand the inter, the interconnections. Yeah, um, but that that's okay, and that's not really the topic of this this episode. Last week with Gordon, we we really covered a lot of the history of WPAC, and we covered things like the products that why they got started, how they got started, um, a lot of the the culture shift that needed to happen in order for work safe to work hand in hand with the companies to work hand in hand with the industry associations to work hand in hand with health and safety. Um, we talked about a lot of the resources that come out of those projects, and I will point back to bcforsafe.org slash WPAC, which was the resource page we mentioned there, and we'll include in the show notes for this episode as well, um, that has the, uh, I see, 2016 through to 2021 work plans. If you go into the resources there and then click on combustible dust resources or the, any of the others, and there's many, you can find spaces, and, and I'm not on that page, but probably falls, and there's, there's, there's dozens, <laughs> um, lots of resources. One of the ones that jumps out is on the 2021 plan, this critical control implementation, and then the stuff that we've been working on with Dalhousie and Dust Safety Science on critical controls as well. So I wanted to just one restate for the audience that that there's a ton of resources on that website from all of these projects and all these combined efforts. And then two, just to lay the groundwork. So we're we're finally there. What what the heck is a critical control and and like where does this where did this project come about? Why are we talking about identifying and implementing critical controls? Where what's the genesis or the sort of origin of of these projects for the the Wood Pell Associations? Well, critical controls evolved from um, about four years ago, WorkSafe BC um, introduced process safety and they started taking a look at um, wanting to integrate some process safety into um, more high hazard industries. And I think that was the first time, again, that's pre-me with um, this group, but that's the first time that um, WPAC or Wood Pellets got any whiff that this was something that they do. Initially, uh, it was they provided like our WorkSafe BC provided some direction through just providing like reference materials and uh, an overview of what process safety is. And like with my background, I can tell you I'm in like my last row with TransAlta looking at lots of there's so many different types and models for process safety. Like they all have very common elements. Uh, wasn't one action that WorkSafe was providing. But then they came out with um, the bow tie, 
which is uh, the risk assessment model. And um, what they did was um, they started to be a little bit more directive with the pack. And um, they um, provided some workshops with a bow tie, an overview of what a bow tie was and helped them identify what some um, top event, what I'd call top, well, what are called top events with like those catastrophic or big, big incidents that can happen in a, in a facility. And then they asked the, each um, pellet um, producer in BC to do their own bow ties outside of those and then to come back with a um, summary of how are, how are they going to be able to control and uh, manage those, um, those hazards that come out of those bow ties. So what happened was it was great in like a workshop setting. We've got a skilled facilitator that is working but when it came down to actually doing the work um, back at the plants with the limited resources, again, going back to what you said, not everyone has access to like project managers or even engineers at the work sites. It became very evident that it was way, 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 way more complex and time consuming than um, those companies anticipated. And WorkSafe BC saw that the companies were struggling a little bit with this. And then that's when they reached out to Gordon, um, you mentioned a couple times with WPAC and with um, and the BC um, for Safety Council to see if there's anything that we could do to support um, the members to uh, being able to help them through this. And then um, that's kind of what brought us to here. So we set up a project team um, and the objective was to help and figure out how, what kind of resources are we going to be able to help to get those pellet producers to the, the point where, well, I'm going to say submissions because WorkSafeBC has required every member to submit boat, completed bow ties to uh, WorkSafeBC along with a a critical control management. So how, how are they going to be able to manage big catastrophic uh, incidents and what kind of controls do they have in place to make sure that they don't happen? So um, we struck up a project team. I did leverage a lot of the experience that I had working at the Transalta. We call it total safety management, but I leveraged a lot of the experience that I had through there to align with kind of the direction that we took with this program. So it, it was awesome that I had that experience, um, but it's even more awesome that I get to leverage that in a, in a on industry to be able to support some of these smaller um, employers. That's kind of the, one of the interesting parts of this is you see process safety as a as a concept and as a collection of you know a collection of elements, a collection of uh, categories and pieces, typically applied at a facility or maybe a maybe a site or you know a company level across multiple sites. I, I, I would think it'd be rare, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, to see it applied at an industry level just for the resources that are needed which is kind of what we saw when we tried to apply it I, I don't know have you seen any of other other cases where this has been attempted to be applied you know across a you know across multiple companies that are I mean some of these companies are competing with each other we talked about a lot that last week's episode as well but yeah have you seen where it's been applied across an industry like this because it's a really interesting model that we're, we're seeing some interesting results with yeah, no, I have I I don't personally know I have any. I I know that there are some other HSA or health and safety associations who have 
provided resources and materials and like white papers and and um, provided like training on what like you know what some elements of process safety are. I just want to I just want to get to what we're doing with um, the WPAC group are identifying the high risk um, activities um, related to catastrophic events and identifying like the activities that they need to do to make sure that those don't happen and, and providing them some resources to be able to support that. But I would, I would not call this like a process safety management program that we're supporting with that. Now, do you, do you, you, you understand the difference, right? Yes. This is one piece okay. of the PSM puzzle, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, or yeah, I would say we'll, we'll say one piece. I don't know if it's one or piece or two or three, but there's a lot of pieces that go into the full PSM program. Yes, and I don't, I don't want because someone will say it's like, well, that's not process safety management. It's like, yes, I know that it's not. It is, um, but it's a really, really important part of it. And for sure, like, there's going to be to get like in order for like um, pellet producers in BC, it's like this is going to give them a lot of bang for their um, collective buck. Um, what what they're doing in there and identifying like those big hazard items for sure. Yeah, and next week with uh, Dr. Paul Amiot, we're going to be talking probably more about bow ties in the. The detail side, you know, was the top event consequences and and preventive measures in that. And we're going to be talking about inherently safer design, how that's incorporated as well, which is sort of the research project that was funded through um, WorkSafe BC's Innovation at Work program. And then it sort of got combined and run parallel with this critical controls project, which which is also, you know, a, another project. So it's interesting to see all these projects supporting each other. Chris, that was like a godsend when we found out about <laughs> that. Oh, my God. Like I knew, like uh, when I was involved in uh, in this, like at my last company. So what, what we had done is basically taken bow ties from a like producer. So say a hydro facility, it was the same kind of thing. And um, validated those and then worked on developing like the controls and making sure that was were implemented. And I saw very early in this, it's like, oh, where's the like the technical and the engineering expertise going to be for this? Because a lot of this comes down to like having access to um, engineers while they don't do all the work. I know <laughs> sometimes you guys think you do. <laughs> oh, we always think we do. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, it's really, um, but we like that was one gap that we oh, had. We'll take credit for it anyway. I guess right? <laughs> Maybe a better way to put it. And uh, when we found out about that project getting funded, and then uh, like I there. There's just been so many synergies from us being able to do this in concert and then working together towards like and supporting each other to to each end. Right. It's been it's been truly amazing. Yeah. I did put a star here because I meant to circle back to it. You may not know the resource or the name of the, the book, but you shared with me at one point sort of like the and I have a printout here just on my windowsill piled up with a bunch of other printouts but the sort of reference guide or reference book that you at least started following for the critical controls project if you remember the name i would include that in the resource for somebody who wants to kind of understand this uh, idea and concept better do you remember what that resource is called i did no it's uh, it's critical control management and it's the uh, international i'm gonna have to find that for you though i can't think of it off the top of my head no problem i'll find it while we're while we're chatting so we're going to go into the, with Paul, we're going to go into sort of research with bow ties, inherently safer design, why was a research project needed, you know, the benefits of coupling with this critical controls project. What I kind of like to get out of this interview and this half of it is like, 
the nuts and bolts in terms of what's been completed to date with the critical control side of the project, you know, what kind of work's been done and where it's headed from here. And you mentioned a couple of things already. So like a project team was started up, determine what resources are needed to teach the project team, but then also, you know, to teach the, the companies themselves, what do they need to have access to do this? Workshops, both, I think we tried some global, you know, workshops with all the companies, but then now we're moving more to workshops of one company by one company at a time. So like those are some of the elements, but high level, what other kind of things have been done as part of this critical controls project to, I guess, get to this goal of, of each company having a, a risk assessment model developed and identifying their critical controls and be able to understand what that means for their facility. Okay, so what I'm going to do is probably just, I'll just walk through the process that we're following and that might help. Yeah, please. That would be excellent because I'm picturing somebody who's listening to this might be might be interested in trying to do it in their company or their association. So that's exactly what I'd like to hear is what, what did you do and, and how can someone else do it? So, so the first thing that we um, did, so like I said, um, originally like WorkSafe had done some work with uh, WPAC to help identify what those catastrophic events were. And uh, what we started with as a project is what we wanted to do was develop a set of um, industry bow ties. So for each of those, so like the industry basically aligned and said, yeah, these are the, these are the big um, fire and explosive hazards in these different process areas within our facilities. And um, what we did initially was we called them pilots in the beginning, but um, really what it was was going through um, a facility and then working on um, what a high, like doing a bow tie at the facility, which is identifying kind of what are, what are the hazards and um, threats that could cause that event, and then also identifying the consequences. And then for each one of those threats or consequences, identifying the controls that need to be in place, and then also degradation factors that could impact those controls. So the approach that we took was we worked with um, two facilities in the beginning to do in industry bow ties on uh, hammer mill, fire and explosive hazards in hammer mill, bed dryer, both drum and belt, bag house and silo storage, raw and dry. So that's kind of like the starting point for um, the risk assessment. And there was a basic understanding that this isn't going to work for everyone, right? Like, or we're saying that that's not going to be the same bow tie for everyone because there's some different processes, there's different um, technologies that um, sites have. But for the most part, pellet mills are kind of run and operated the same way. So what we did is we started with um, that one, it's almost like, like a sourdough starter. So uh, start with that one bow tie. So we did three, three and one and four and uh, four at another facility. And then that bow tie is what, um, and now, now we've got seven complete bow ties that we are going to take out to the rest of the industry site by site. And then each one of those sites um, then has to do like a validation of that bow tie. So that's when they take a look at that and they see, they validate the threats like, um, is this a threat here? And it's like, yes or no. And they go through that cycle. Then when they identify that, then they say, okay, well, what controls do I have that for that here? And if it's a control that's already been identified, it makes it a little bit easier for them. But then they also have to sometimes add to it because they have different things in place. So once they go through that validation process at the site by site level, the next thing that they do is 
They've identified their controls for those hazards as part of that um, industry bow tie. So they, that's their own bow tie then. So that's their site-specific bow tie. And then, then they identify from the controls, like what are the real critical controls? Because um, it's unrealistic to think that every single thing that you've got on, and these bow ties, oh my gosh, they are massive when you look at um, in, and how, how big and how complex managing some of these um, sites are. It's, um, it's amazing when you see it blown out. But what they need, what we do and, and where we want um, the sites to focus on is, okay, what's the one thing or not one thing or um, what's the control that's on this hazard? And it, sometimes it can be a couple that if this fails or it doesn't function the way that it's supposed to, there's a high likelihood that that event's going to happen. So we work with the sites after going through their bow tie validation. They make their own bow tie so they understand. They've got a good understanding of the controls that they have in place and um, a better understanding of uh, going through these processes is always so good because there's a lot of aha moments, right? But then we help them identify, okay, what is that critical control? Once they um, get to that, then um, we provide them guidance and on helping to kind of shape the paths with making sure that they've got that critical control well in hand. So we've got some templates set up for them. So once they go through identifying the critical controls, there's a way for them to identify, okay, who's going to be the owner of this in the organization? Meaning um, at the end of the day, who's going to be responsible? responsible to make sure that gets done what are the reporting metrics on that like what's the operating envelope how is it supposed to operate if it doesn't operate how does um how does that get elevated how does it get investigated so it helps them get to the point where they have that control that's um if it doesn't function could like you know, um, have a catastrophic event in terms of a fire explosion, we help get them to a point where they've got that in hand and they understand how it's being managed. And then sometimes what we're seeing is while some of this is like an as is, when I, when I want to say that, I mean, it's um, they're going through and documenting what they have in place. What we're seeing very, very early on is like they're helping identify um, gaps that they didn't even know up to this point and are filling in those gaps as they go. So, where we are right now is we have um, the industry bow ties have been completed. So they, they are ready to go for the work that we're doing with industry. We have the critical control summary, um, the templates ready for them to be able to work through once they go through their validation of the bow ties, how to work through that. And we're just starting with employers now on, uh, on working it at the site level. Uh, we have one site that has gone through um, our workshop because um, we have we have two resources here at BC4 Safety Council that are actually going out to each site and are providing support to each site to help them through the validation process, to help them identify their critical controls, and then um, provide a little bit of guidance around um, how to set up appropriate management systems for each one of those controls. And we've just finished um, the first one with the first one for piloting this. And um, so far, it's going really, really good. Awesome. And I, while you were chatting there, I, just, I pulled up the um, resource. I think it's the one. It's a nice big blue cover. That's how I remember it. Health and Safety Critical Control Management Good Practice Guide by ICC or ICMM. Is that the one? That's the one, okay. yeah. I did find um, a PDF that's released by ICCM.com. Um, so I think that's available. We'll put in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 132. Um, if you're interested, that, that guide's actually quite interesting in terms of this concept of critical controls. 
and just some of the background on what we're, we're talking about in terms of identifying critical controls, I'm going to do a short summary of the process so far and some of the things I just wrote down. So and I actually put numbers to these. These are these are my numbers, not Cherry's. I, I'm confident she has a numbered list that's uh, that's more complete <laughs> and uh, and probably better representative. But as she was talking, I wrote these down. Sort of step one is to create these industry bow ties. So these are like templates in terms of you know specific types of equipment that are typically used in these processing lines. Step two is to validate your threats against those industry bow ties or or templates. And I am hesitant to use the word template because I might get some backlash from some bow tie purists and also some process safety management folk and and maybe some other people that I'm not even thinking about that are listening to this. But that's step two. Validate the threats against the bow ties. So you have these threats. If you don't have these threats, then you that you know that branch of the bow tie doesn't exist. Say if you don't have any hammer mills in your processing line then the hammer mill bow tie doesn't apply to you. So validate the threats, um, evaluate the controls. So this would be step three. And from there, you have what, what your team's designating these site-specific bow ties. From there, you can look at that and evaluate using guides like the one that we mentioned. You know, what are the, what are the critical controls? What are the few things that if are removed, um, you have a, a very high risk associated with other things? I'm hesitant to draw an example here out of my head because I'll probably say something where the the thing that I say doesn't matter does matter. So I'm not going to give a specific example, but you know what are the critical things that if you don't manage, then then could lead to a catastrophic loss. And that's actually what I wrote here. Step five: Who is responsible and how are you managing this critical control? Is that a satisfactory five steps for the the process that we're talking about, or did I miss something in there? Well, kind of. The one thing I would add though is like um. Like I, I, it's not a cut and paste exercise that we're like that we're certainly not. <laughs> yeah, and then when when we get out to the site too, so um, when we're going through the validation, there's also the question like, so say you've got a number of threats that are um on a and and the number of controls on that threat line. There's always a question to the site. Um, are there any other threats? So we want to ask the site, like, so these are the ones that have been identified by other producers and like um, as a group, right? So, but we also need to know, like, is there, like, have they have had a big near miss or have they had an actual incident that, that was caused by a threat that's not identified there? So we are building and adding on to these as we go. And then same thing for the controls. Like um, we'll go through and it's not just like, if they don't have it, they say no on a control. But um, there are times when there's others that needed to be added to it because um, they might have a control that um, a previous or that hasn't been there. So each time we go out to a site, it's more like so the bow tie is getting bigger and bigger because we're adding on more possible controls. We're adding on more possible threats as we work through the process. Yeah, you made you made me add some new new lines to my drawings. <laughs> so there, there's feedback, um, and there's some interesting things here that you mentioned during that discussion as well. Like, obviously, there's support needed on developing the industry bow ties in terms of knowledge and understanding to do that. And it's probably even instructive to see what comes out of those first shot industry bow ties, and then you're always feeding back and improving those as you go. But you're also providing the support during the um, validation, the evaluating the controls and creating these site-specific bow ties. And you really mentioned this is like a really good learning opportunity. It's not from your perspective, like from what you've seen in the field, it's not, you know, you go and they say, oh, these are my, these are my threats. And, you know, it's like well, a cut and paste exercise. It's like, oh, well, we didn't think of that. Oh, this triggers, you know, looking deeper into this and, oh, there are some threats that are missing. It's like a, a really good learning comes out, outcome comes out of developing those site-specific bow ties 
in a faster fashion than if you were to try to do them scratch and, and oh without God. support. <laughs> Doing it from scratch, like each one of these bow ties, like so one of these, uh, like those three that we did, what I like, I call them pilots now, but um, so one bow tie for one of those events takes about um, like two full days and they are full days. Um, where you've got like you got manufacturing, you've got um, plant, you know, like plant personnel, uh, you've you've got I'm uh, not manufacturing maintenance and operation staff, engineers, like they're full days. But I tell you, Chris, like I I, I haven't sat in one of these yet where um, it's like a lot. There's always an aha moment. There's always when someone's talking about a control or how things are managed here, where you'll get a discussion around how things are managed here. And for me, it's like. Whenever you have a discussion around how something is supposed to operate, you probably don't have alignment or a good understanding of what's actually happening. <laughs> and uh, those are the real like little nuggets that you see that happen out there. And with our like BC4 Safety Council staff that are helping participate in the, in those, we kind of help drive those questions and ask the questions around, well, how do you know it's happening this way? And, and um, because we do have like the auditing background, like when I talk about safe companies and the certification program, like we're, we're auditors, that's what we started with. We're really good at trying to find like kind of possible system breakdowns in part of those, which really help, uh, help the sites identify those degradation factors that uh, could cause those controls not to work. So it's, it's been a really good process so far. Yeah, I agree. And we might as well name some of the other actors that are that are involved that aren't in this podcast series, but we're going to do another three podcasts later on in the year talking about how the project went. Um, so Bill Laternis is one. Yeah. Tyler, what's Tyler's last name now? I can't think of it. Tyler Bartles. Tyler Bartles. Um, and Kaylee Rayner-Brown, who uh, do we have? Oh, we didn't have, we had her, she did a training on bow ties inside the Dust Safety Academy. We haven't had her on the podcast yet. So you mentioned two days. That's two days with support on the ground. And a facilitator, Kaylee's been been fortunate to have Kaylee to do those facilitations, and the team there. Uh, so it, it is an immense amount of, of effort, but it's it's really great to see with that support. Then the learning outcomes come out, and then there's like this other phase. So step four, which I had is identifying your critical controls from your site specific bow ties, and then this who is responsible and how do we manage it moving forward. And that's, I mean, that's where you're really going to see you know step increases in safety. And and I hope performance and, and efficiency and other things will come out of that as well, so that we can we can pay back the cost of safety. But we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. And that's sort of where you're at right now, right? You mentioned that you're, you're working on site specific bow ties. I guess what what's left to be completed through the critical controls project? Is there another project coming? Like what, what what's coming down the tracks with this? Well, this one, we're still like, we're like just at the point where I'd say, because um, up until this point, it's been kind of what a, like a proof of concept. So it's like working through this and it's evolved and adjusted as we've gone. So we know, we know the process that we're going to use with the other um, facilities to the end of the year. We've staggered them out. So um, it's about two a month till the end of the year to get them and work with them through this process. We also, we've, we're developing, this should be done this week because we've had some delays due to COVID, unfortunately with um, getting some of those bow ties completed in a timely manner. But um, we do have some learning resources that we are going to be providing to sites as well. So in addition to the boots on the ground stuff that we're offering, we're also going to be providing some videos and um, guides on how to how to complete the validation process and whatnot. So once we're gone, there is also help. 
so right now we are, I would say we're at the um, launch phase of the project with uh, making the resources available for those sites and then starting to actually like um, work through that site, the work, work through that. Um, we have had our first two employers that have sent in their, the submission requirements to WorkSafe BC, which is what I'd said earlier is uh, their completed bow ties for their specific sites along with those critical control summaries for each of the critical controls identified through that. So um, that was a big win for, um, or it was a big milestone. And now um, we are just in the like rollout for um, each of the remaining sites and working to support them with this. I, I don't know if you're going to talk about with this Paul next week, but we've got a, we've got another hopefully research project. That's uh, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. So that one is, and going back to what I said earlier, like this is not process safety management that we're doing here. It is like, there's a, a lot of it that's here, but identifying those critical control management requirements. So what Paul and um, Dalhousie have done is they're, um, they put in a research proposal into WorkSafe BC under their innovation at work grants. And uh, we're hoping they're going to get this, but it will be um, what kind of um Basically, I'm going to paraphrase this. Uh, what kind of a management system would be needed to support the findings from this so that um, they would be sustainable? So I'm excited about that because um, once like the work doesn't stop when you do those critical control summaries, as soon as um, as soon as they start or any anything is done, um, you need to ensure that you got systems that are going to support the sustainability of it. And that's where you get into more process safety management system elements, which do address like, um, you know, leadership, culture, uh, auditing and systems to support that um, after they do this work and identify it, that you've got a mechanisms and um, systems in place to make sure that it goes on after it's not just done right here and now. I agree. And that's that's where where I was kind of hitting at at the, the start that you and I have had this conversation about what is, I mean, I, I, I would call what we're doing process safety management. Um, it's not big PSM. And the problem with big PSM is there's, there's several different models of it. And each one has a different number of elements, different categorization. You have CSA, you have a Canada version. Uh, there, there's all the PSM, big PSM is, is uh, there's a lot of different parts of it. This is process safety management in terms of it's an element uh, it's a part of process safety management in my mind, and that's my, my use. And other people may not use that. That's all right. But this is definitely an important element of it. And then how do we you know, build on that to add in other elements like leadership and culture and reporting and, and the, the other ones that you kind of mentioned. This episode itself, I think, will come out when you're listening to this. If it's uh, if you're listening live, this should be around mid-June. There is the Safety Foundation series, I believe that you folks will be releasing before then. Is that, is that right, Sherry? Or will that be out by the time somebody's listening to this in mid June? I think that's supposed to be like some is imminent within the next week or two. So today um, is April the 7th. So within the next week or two. Okay. Um, and there is, yeah, there is going to be a bow tie. Um, there is going to be a session that Kaylee, you've mentioned her already. She's going to be providing an overview for a bow tie methodology in, in, a, in a wood pellet setting. And uh, we, uh, Bill Laternis and I provided something around critical control management and uh, how uh, high level overview how they're identified and then uh, things and systems you can have in place to ensure that they um, they work the way they're supposed to. Where, if you know, will that will that be found online? Or I know there's some new websites being developed and stuff, but is it going to be on the WPAC BC4safe.org page or is it going to be somewhere else? 
Yes, to both. So um, as soon as we have that, so they will all be available at the same time is my understanding. There's going to be a push and communication going out um, staggered over six weeks, but they will be available on the WPAC site, which is under um, reconstruction. I think they're going to a new website and same thing for BC Forest Safety Council. So we will have a link to our website on there as well. And But we're going to have a new website too, but yes to both. Excellent. Well, if you, if you can't, if they should be listed at uh, safetyscience.com slash 132. For some reason, the links get outdated with any upcoming changes. Email myself. We'll have a way to contact Sherry as well. And, and you get access to some of the training that's been developed through creating these projects and some of the learnings there that they're doing with this uh, Safety Foundation series. And folks have already heard me harp on the, the variety of resources that are available on that WPAC page. It really is um, an impressive body of work that's been being done there since well 2014 and 2016 as as the the earliest work plans on there and the other material that came out of that. This has been a really interesting overview of this critical control project, how it got implemented, why it got started, some of the lessons learned, some of the, even the challenges that have come out of it. Sherry, I asked this question to Gord at the end of his interview, and and I want to close up with it at the end of this interview as well on advice to other associations working with various stakeholders. And maybe we'll get a bit of background here first. Like when I first came into the WPAC safety committee and sat in on my first meeting, I was kind of blown away about the companies and how open they were being. And NBC FSC was there and WPAC members were there and WorkSafe BC would come in and give some information. You know, you'd hold that within <laughs> seemingly at like a very short notice, you'd launch a, you know, a half day conference on a specific topic and you'd roll out a new work plan, tackle something new and seeing all these various stakeholders work together. I know, and we talked with, with Gordon last week that it took years and years to get to that point, even to build, you know, trust and even to build communication pathways to be able to do that. But it's a model that I really like it's a model that I think we can build into other industries, and so then I'm going to circle all the way back to the question with you having worked through as part of this from the the role of a um, health and safety association. Do you have any advice for other associations on how to work with various stakeholders and in industries handling combustible dust? How do you start those relationships? How could somebody start to even replicate some of the things that are being done out there in British Columbia? Well, with our organization, I think the strength of our organization comes from our um, advisory groups. So I would say the first thing is any advice is listen. <laughs> so uh, you want to have and then set up a framework where you are able to provide people an opportunity to be able to come together, facilitate good, healthy discussions and help them. Because sometimes um, it feels like um, sometimes it feels like we're we're hurting cats sometimes. But because you've got different people coming from different organizations and you think like a lot of these companies have different priorities based on their own set of experiences that they've had for incidents that have happened. And um, depending on where they are in their kind of journey to uh, to like a safety journey, there could be different levels of maturity, too. Right. So I think um, the advice that I would have for other associations is to really spend time on developing a framework where you are able to pull people together and to be able to make sure that you've got a mechanism for them to be able to listen and, and hear what the others are saying, but then also make sure that you've got enough governance in place to, you know, if they've said something that you're somehow it's going to be, um, you know, they're, they're being heard. 
It's, it's not just a good, it's not just okay to bring these, anyone together for um, like talking about health and safety and just having, okay, this is a bad word, just saying it's a bitch fest because people want to see action. So have the framework, listen to what they're saying, develop like action plans so that they, you can see that they're being heard and then steward to those action plans with the group. That is one thing that I really like that WPAC does. Uh, they like, uh, and I'm sure Gord talked about this with the safety committee. They've got monthly meetings, action items come out of every single meeting and are reported on. And that's top and center. The first next meeting is like, okay, we said we were going to do this. What's getting done and keeping people accountable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it really is a well-oiled machine. I, I do want to thank, thank you because I know you play a critical role in that. I, I want to thank Gordon. I did that last last week's episode. Bill, Tyler, Bahima, and the list goes on. I'm probably forgetting some other. And I mean, all the member companies too, uh, Scott, Max from Pinnacle, that really invest a lot of time in establishing that culture and being a cheerleader when that's needed and forcing people to be involved when that's needed and to really celebrate successes when people are involved and it, it comes up with really good outcomes, keeping the action items going and the member companies being able to grow and, and get to a point where they can share. I shared this last week on the podcast, but I, I sat in on a, a the belt dryer working group or I'm part of the belt dryer working group that came out of some of the initiatives here. We had a meeting yesterday and we were talking about different aspects would affect fire and explosion hazards and belt dryers. And, you know, one of the companies said, well, you know, we have a hammer mill in front of our, our belt dryer to improve the particle size so you can have a better mat inside the dryer. Another one said, well, you know, we have we have two lines of uh, magnetic separators. Um, and another one said, well, we take out uh, 26 pounds of rock every hour. I, I'm kind of shooting that number of the air. But and then the discussion quickly turned out, well, why do you do that? And why do you do that? And these companies that are, you know, generally in, in industry wouldn't see companies talking about these sort of things both on safety and production and efficiency and there's a really great discussion on oh well this is the best way not really the best way but this is the improvements we made to our operating line to improve things like you know drying times and moisture content and mat fiber bed layout and safety and fire preventing fire in the dryer preventing explosion in the dryer and it's because of that working together over time developing that culture across the industry be able to share those things that people feel and and trust and are open and able to do that so i said last week i wanted to bring it up again sort of as a, a final point of kudos to to you and your team at bcfsc and the other groups that are working there because it really is making a difference in these industries well chris when you think about it it's like with the bow ties and that process i just talked about like um it's hard enough getting industries to um, to share incidents that have happened, right? And that's a lagging indicator, right? So getting incidents out there and like we do, and I'll put a plug in, we've got safety alerts for us, manufacturing safety alerts. We read everyone. Um, right? get, okay. Sign up right now. Um, <laughs> we'll get a link for people yeah. to sign up to that. Well, because for me, a big part of process safety is lessons learned, right? Like you've got to have like good investigations, thorough investigations that are going to get at the root cause and then share those lessons out. So that is a process that we have at um, our, our Health and Safety Association to get those lessons out. But when what we're doing with this project is we're helping them identify and share, like, how are you controlling these hazards at sites? So for sure, when someone's saying, no, 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 I don't have these controls, they're being made aware of those controls, right? A lot of the times, like some sometimes these small operators or bigger operators, like 
in order to learn at different technologies or different controls that you have, you've got to go to conferences and really be on top of it. And not a lot of people have the time to be able to do that. But by doing and sharing like best practices and being able to share how we're, you know, how we're managing these controls, um, there's a lot of power in this. There's like really a lot of power in this. So um, I'm, I'm beyond excited about this project and um, potential. Like, and if any other industry was looking at um, taking on something like this, I, um, you know, we'd, we'd love to be able to um, provide a little bit of direction and lessons learned for what we've done. I'm just going to put another plug in saying something about our role for associations. Focus on the change management. Honestly, we're change agents. So um, whenever there's something that, um, you know, industry identifies as um, something they want to do, we need to be able to identify, you know, where, what kind of resistance there is to getting that change through, but also helping to communicate and roll it out because any, like any change is hard. But we really need to be able to help um, associate or in, like an employer to be able to roll out these any resources within their organizations as well. And that's something like we're, we're trying to improve upon and like there's different ways to go about it. But um, change management is a huge component of this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's probably the best place to leave off this interview is just to say that that is the if we had to summarize the advice, the role of the association really is this this uh, change agent to listen, to hear, <laughs> and then to develop action plans and drive through because there's going to be resistance to any change. Again, I kind of, I said to your leader tongue in cheek earlier, but you need uh, process safety management. They'd be called the, oh, I can't think of the, the right word, but you need somebody that's going to drive, drive that. And then really that's going to be the role of the association. That's going to drive that change, be that change agent, stay behind it, keep pushing it until it gets through so the member companies know that they're being heard and that they're they're being actioned. Excellent. Well, we'll leave it at that, Sherry. Thank you again so much for the the interview. Thank you for your time and the work that you do with um, BC4 Safety Council and and to BC4 Safety Council and WorkSafe BC for you know keeping this this association going and, and the great work that you're doing. We appreciate it. I'm sure this won't be the last time we have you on the podcast. So I appreciate and look forward to the chance to get you on next time as well. Oh, thanks, Chris. I had fun. It was great. Thanks, Sherry. We'll be talking soon. Okay, bye-bye. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Sherry Whalen, Director of Safe Companies with BC4 Safety Council, and we'll be talking about identifying and implementing critical controls in wood pellet facilities. So as I, I said at the outset, this is part two of a three-part interview series around projects that are being undertaken in British Columbia, Canada. Um, last week, we had Gordon Murray on talking about the history of the Wood Pellet Association of Canada how they got started with combustible dust, what they do with their safety committee, what kind of projects they've done. This rolled into this critical controls project that we talked about in this episode with Sherry. And then it's going to roll into the, the next week's episode with Dr. Paul Amion as well, talking about implementing inherently safer design using bow tie analysis for combustible dust hazards. Um, and these, these different projects have sort of stitched together to a really interesting way over the last year to, to be able to facilitate change in industries handling combustible dust and in specific the, the wood pellet facilities. In this interview, we talk through what is BC4 Safety Council, what role do they play? So they're a health and safety um, association, they're a nonprofit, they're funded through WorkSafe BC. They support the lumber facilities, wood pellet mills, and other forestry sectors and industries within British Columbia. We talked about Sherry's background, how she came to be involved with being the director of safe companies with BCFSC. 
we talked about the the various companies that they support, uh, Woodpell Association Canada, WPAC, um, the MAG Group, the Manufacturing Advisory Group, and then several others that we, and I, I ran out of my list here. I'm not going to go through, through each one, but there's a lot of groups that are supporting through the work that they're doing. This critical controls project came through or came about around 2014 timeline, so sort of the follow-up of the combustible dust explosion in 2012 and other projects related to that. Started looking at resources and reference material, trying to get the companies to be able to develop bow ties, understand their controls, understand degradation factors, understand which controls are critical, keep their processes safe. I really found that's really a lot of work individually. That's when talk of this project started to develop and, and Cherry came in later uh, and to be involved with that as well. So we talked about this five-step process. Um, again, these are my five steps, not the five steps of the project, uh, say, work plan. But just through this interview, we had sort of step one as developing industry bow ties. Step two, uh, validating the threats at a site level. Do you have these threats? Do these bow ties apply to you? Evaluating your controls was step three uh, for the threats that you do have. Step four was evaluating which ones are the critical controls. And step five is you know identifying who is responsible and, and how you're going to manage those moving forward. We talked about some interesting interactions here. So you create these templates, if I can use that word, and then start to, re, to, start to validate them at site level. We're also feeding back information into your templates. So every time a new threat comes up that wasn't addressed, or a degradation factor, and we'll get into what a degradation factor is next week with Paul. Um, he can explain it better than than I can, I'm sure. But you know, as these new elements are identified, they're fed right back into these these industry bow ties as well. Um, and then there's a lot of learning that comes out. So we talked about where the association needs to provide support, where you get learnings that are outcomes of this, um, where the project's going moving forward as well. We sort of closed out the interview talking and, and sort of bending Sherry's ear a bit on. You know what advice she has for industry associations that are looking to to work with various stakeholders like this. And the kind of place we left off is that they really need to be a change agent. And she mentioned a couple of keys around this, like having an advisory group structure where you're talking one on one with the industry participants, where you're getting their feedback, have a framework to implement that feedback, to collect it, then also to develop action plans and actually do something with it. At the end of the day, listen and hear what the industry is asking for. And really do your best to be able to roll that out and show them that you're making progress against those goals because that's going to encourage them then to give you more feedback and more feedback and more feedback and sort of self-fulfilling. So that's going to have to be driven by the association most of the time to be able to force that move forward. We mentioned a number of resources through this. One was this critical controls guide, which I've lost with its really bright blue cover. Health and Safety, Critical Control Management, Good Practice Guide by the International Council on Mining and Metals. Um, we'll have a link to that in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 132. The WPAC page on the BC Forest Safety Council website, that's bcforestsafe.org slash WPAC. That has a ton of great resources. And Sherry mentioned towards the end the um, safety alerts that we'll put a link to in the show notes as well. It's a little bit longer of URL. So go to dustsavyscience.com slash 132 to get that. We get all of those. We collect up the ones that are related to combustible dust and share them out to our community, our newsletters, the Dust Safety Academy as well. There's great information in those. We've actually had some people come on the podcast to talk about those safety shares that have come through that program as well. But we had a couple of podcast episodes talking about those. Corey Gardner, that's where it is. Uh, testing of high-speed abort gates in episode 105 of the podcast. Um, they've had some recent ones with flash fires in hoggers and near misses. 
interaction with smoldering piles. And that's really a great way to, to uh, share the information out. And these are things that are happening today um, in, in wood pellet and, and other forest industries. So that's a great place to go. Um, again, we'll have the link in the show notes at dustsafescience.com slash 132. Um, and you can also get information on that uh, fundamentals training series as well. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I really appreciate everything you're doing to um, work within and make industry safer that are handling combustible dust with the work that you're doing every day out there in the world. 